Dear Cosmo Babies, today we have a special guest with us, Kristen Rinkin, who is the owner and founder of Dress Code Project. I'm your host, Annie MacArthur, and I have my co-host, Aaron Gray, with me today. So let's jump right into it. Welcome, Kristen. Hey, Annie. Hey, Aaron. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. Um, yeah, it's nice to be here. Do you want to go ahead and just kind of give a little background on yourself and what Dress Code Project is? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so again, my name is Kristen Rankin. I use they, them pronouns. I am the founder of an organization called the Dress Code Project. Um, and what we basically do is we help hairstylists, hair salon owners, um, everyone in the hair industry um, understand what it means to create a gender affirming hair space so that folks who identify outside of the gender binary can find services that are affirming to them and feel welcomed and look the way they feel. Awesome. And Kristen, can you tell us how that all started? Like, like when did you just like wake up and decide to start this? Yeah. Um, I think it took a minute. Um, but I've been a hairstylist for 16 years and I am from Toronto, Canada. I opened a salon in 2008, my first salon in uh, the East end of Toronto, which is a really diverse part of the city in every way, but especially in, uh, in the community of the queer community, folks who identify within that community. And so I had a super diverse, uh, clientele also from the moment opening it, I, as a queer person, put a rainbow sticker on the front of the window so people would see it. You know, we know that's like the universal queer bat signal that it's mm -hmm. safe to come in here. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, um, and I had a, like a large, um, queer clientele. And, um, so that was in 2028, 20, uh, 2008. And then I, you know, we had gender affirming services, just meaning that we didn't, um, you know, say men's cut or women's cut. It was like by length and I had a woman in 2016 come into my salon and get a haircut. And, um, the next day she tweeted that it was the first time she'd ever got a haircut at a hair salon and been made to feel like a woman. And the reason why that was so impactful is because she identified as a transgender woman. And I think, you know, she had been out for five years, if I remember correctly, through our conversation. So to me, what that meant was that for five years, she was either not getting her haircut, which is really, really common um, in, in not only the queer industry, but in the, uh, sorry, the queer community, but in the community of folks who identify outside of the binary. Mm -hmm. So say gender non-conforming folks, uh, non-binary folks, or um, folks that are transitioning. And, um, you know, it was just sad, really. Like, I think as hairstylists, we always get super excited when we know that we have given someone a haircut that really makes them feel good. So I think I had a moment of that when she left, like, okay, she loved her haircut, you know? Then when I got that tweet, that moment turned into like, man, this is really kind of sucks that the industry that I really love being in is not understanding or recognizing or celebrating the community that I so strongly identify with. And folks like herself were, you know, as a result, suffering and not being able mm -hmm. to like enjoy their hair. And, mm -hmm. um, and that's really what started it all. And I had no clue what I was doing at all at first. I just sent out um, a bunch of emails to salon owners in Toronto that I, that I knew um, that I thought might be interested. And uh, it was really, really pleasantly surprised to get some emails back that were really positive and that were you know, people were interested in supporting the idea. 
Um, and one of my good friends wrote back in an hour and she was like, fuck yeah, you know, I'm in. So, um, it was a very positive, you know, reinforcement. And then it just kind of went from there mm-hmm. and sort of stumbled through, you know, uh, learning how we could develop it. And now we, you know, uh, the big, biggest thing initially was creating a directory, um, which you both are, are very familiar with. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that directory is essentially for clients to find, gender affirming salons in their area by typing in, you know, the name of their city or their zip code or postal code and, um, by for hairstylists to find gender affirming, uh, salons, if they are coming out of school and they want to work in a inclusive salon. What I really love about your particular directory as well, because it's, it's not one of a kind, right? It is the first one there was, but you bet those salons. So you are making sure that those salons are truly inclusive spaces. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you talk about the criteria that you have for a salon to join and be on that list? Like what do they need to do to, to be eligible? Yeah, I think it's really important that they are vetted Um, for, you know, first and foremost, because we say that we're creating safer spaces. So we can only say that if we're actually doing something to ensure that that's what's happening. Uh, We also, I think it's important to note that we also say safer and not safe because we can, you know, as in life, you can never fully guarantee anything. And we, you know, have over 550 salons in our directory and we are not in every one of them all the time or usually ever really. So we can't guarantee that they're always going to be safe. But the reason we vet them is to say, look, we've done our due diligence to make sure they at least understand the basics and the foundations of what it means to create a safer space and then go from there. And and that criteria starts off first when usually what happens is folks find us um, and go onto our website and they submit a form. And that form has little questions like, do you have gender affirming washrooms and things like that. So that's showing that they already understand what that means in a space in an environment. And then when they submit that they want to become a member, we actually send them a, a quiz. And that quiz asks them like general knowledge of the queer community and what it means to have those um, identifying inclusivities within swan industry. And, um, and then we go from there. And then we offer as soon as they um, do enroll and become a member, we then send them um, digitally a 25 page infographic that I created personally with uh, the 519 uh, Center in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And they specialize in inclusivity and diversity training, especially within the LGBTQ plus communities. So together with their knowledge and training of that, my experience being a hairstylist and a queer person, we put together, um, it's almost like a day in the life of a hair service and how to change that generalized hair service into a gender affirming her, her service. And then on top of all of that, there is further opportunities for our members to get training and education from us at a discounted rate. That's awesome. Kristen, do you think that someone could take the, you know, the 25 pages of education that, that you said when they become an Alliance member, and do you think that they could then train their staff on, on at least the basics? Or do you think that, you know, someone who is going to be an independent, maybe suite owner or whatever that looks like when they receive that 25 pages, will they, will they be able to one implement the things and two have like a pretty good understanding of pronouns and usage and dead naming and, and kind of all of those like things, um, that, that go with this. Yeah, that is a really good question, Erin. Um, 
we encourage the owners of the salon or the um, solo solo space owner to take that infographic that we send them digitally and print it out and actually like keep it as almost a handheld manual in physical digital copy in our physical copy in their salon space so that they can review it regularly and they can go over it with the staff. Um, you know, we, uh, we ask for payment from organizations because when we first started this, we actually did it for free. And then we started to find that there was no accountability on the salon or the solo suite owners part. So we were getting a lot of messages from clients saying, you know, you say that this space is vetted and they're on your directory, but I had this experience. Mm -hmm. So we would contact them and be like, Hey, what's up? And then go from there. Like we would not just leave it. And if the person like the owner was responsive and wanted to work with us to, you know, enhance the experience of that person or people in the queer communities, then great. You know, we would just say, Hey, like you really need to like follow what we've given you and stuff like that. But if they weren't, we would actually remove them from the directory. But it was like, I started to realize there was no accountability there. They had no reason to really follow up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, totally. like it's, it's really great to say you're an inclusive space. Mm -hmm. Right. But it's also easy to not follow through if there's no reason to be accountable. And unfortunately the world that we live in, what is the number one way to make someone accountable? Have them pay for something. Right. Absolutely. It's kind of like, I just paid for these shoes. So I'm going to take care of them, you know, versus <laughs> someone, you know, giving me a story for that. that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, so we, uh, we really ask them to take that, print it out, allow their stylist to read through it, or even spend some time, yeah. put some time aside. Like I know that a lot of salon owners, um, when they have a, a staff, like they'll actually have monthly meetings. Mm -hmm. So like, if you if you become a DCP member salon and you don't want to take further education from us, then print off that digital copy because you just paid for it. And actually make your space gender affirming, sit down with your staff at the next staff meeting and go through that. It's a very, very, very thorough, uh, booklet. Like it's about 25 pages. It's an infographic. So it's visual. We all know hairstylists are great with visuals. Um, that's why we made it that way. And it's very thorough. It goes from like understanding basic terminology within the queer communities, understanding the differences between someone who identifies, let's say, as bisexual and pansexual, mm -hmm. uh, understanding pronouns. And if you accidentally misgender someone by not using their proper pronouns, the, you know, three-step process we recommend to correct it and and understanding that that's okay understanding there are no stupid questions if you're being authentic and you generally want to know more we can teach you how to find out more but also that it's okay to ask if the interest is is authentic and true you know and then like what a gender affirming hair service is what that entails um you know microaggressions all of it there's so much information mm -hmm. in there that really it's pretty thorough part of the reason that for me it was really important to have you on this podcast is because we we talk to students, that's our, our primary focus, the, the people listening, our students, branding professionals, things like that. I think as another person in the queer community, it is so important to start understanding inclusive language and inclusive services and what that means and how to set yourself up in the future for that. Because unfortunately, a lot of schools today are still teaching men's and women's haircuts. And I think that it's so important to talk to this younger generation 
or even just people who are entering professional beauty and have no idea about some of the things that happen in the industry. I think it's such an important conversation to start from day one about how to change that mindset and change the understanding behind why men's versus women's cuts can be detrimental, especially to the queer community, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's, and it's not even just the queer community, but it's like, even just to women, like women end up paying more money in general for beauty services. Women end up paying, you know, or people who identify as women end up paying more. There's a big conversation in the U S about something that is called the pink tax, which is women, people who identify as women tend to spend more money on things just because they're quote pink. Um, they're, they're branded towards us and people, you know, that identify as, as female and things like that. Um, what would you be able to say to a student right now who is in school, who is learning gendered services? What is a really easy way for them to take a step back and, and learn what they're teaching without having to learn the gendered portion of it? Yeah. So I think that it's really important to ask questions and to have a really like inquisitive, I think, learning mind, you know, Mm -hmm. it's so easy. And I think now, like as someone who's been in the industry for a while and as someone who's just not 25, um, I think it's so looking back at things, I think of like when I was younger and how, you know, how it was just so easy to just like take ingest all the information that was coming at you and just accept it. Mm-hmm. as a rule mm-hmm. because we were taught that you know like yeah. do what you're told don't speak back do yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. right like if you say anything and you go against the grain you'll get fired like all of those things you know mm-hmm. and as we know that's just not how the younger generations think so i think the i think they have a huge advantage over when i was you know in at their mm-hmm. age in their position because i think they're naturally now encouraged to ask questions and to be inquisitive and find out more if they can. So that would be like my number one is like, just don't accept that as the golden rule, you Mm -hmm. know, hear what they have to say and take all the information that you feel is valid and is like, you know, um, fair. And then for the rest of it, seek, seek explanations elsewhere. Like the dress code project is a really good place to find information out on our website and Mm -hmm. on our Instagram. Mm -hmm. You know, we know that hairstylists have tons of like our, one of our main currencies is Instagram because it's also got photos and videos and everything for us is like visual. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we have an incredibly educational and informative Instagram account. We put out a lot of information. Um, you know, we, we have a very solid message and branding around what it is that we're doing. And it is geared towards hairstylists mainly. It's not exclusive to hairstylists, but it's definitely geared towards that because this is where it started. You know, the entire reason that I didn't call it like the inclusive hair organization was because I wanted it to be something more, if ever it could be, you know? So mm-hmm. I wanted it to have a more generic name. Dress code was like one of the first things that came to my mind because I grew up uh, in an Irish Catholic community and I had to go to Catholic school and we had to wear uniforms and I had to wear like the female identifying uniform all the time and I hated it. Mm-hmm. So it was really kind of like, you know, my homage to going against the dress code and revolting against it, you know? But it, that's why I named it that. So it could be more than the hair industry. It's just that we started in the hair industry. Absolutely. So I think asking questions, you know, and just like looking for different resources. I mean, it's almost impossible to not Google, you know, hair, inclusive hair and not find us. Kristen, if, if you could tell 
a, a student, a student stylist, um, or give them like one piece of information that you think would be like the most helpful on this journey to creating inclusive spaces. Um, what would be like the thing that you taught them? Like, if you um, just know one I, thing, where do you start? Yeah. Like if you're in school or coming out of school and you just want to know more again, like find us on, on social media, for sure. Reach mm-hmm. out, ask questions. I already actually had students do that had a student in Canada who reached out and was in a school, a school that we actually tried to work with, um, a big school in Canada, probably the biggest school in Canada. They wanted to uh, reach out to us. They wanted to do um, uh, like a curriculum with us. Um, And, you know, they backed out at the last minute, which happens a lot with this professional beauty industry, because, you know, again, we were requiring a donation for our services and, you know, they all of a sudden got cold feet. But this student was like, hey, like I see you on social media and I'm in school and we're still learning gendered stuff. Like, what do I do? You know, and I was like, Mm -hmm. well, here's our information. And I think this is the best piece of advice that I could have given this person. This person was also in the queer community, also identified as a trans person. And I just said, take our information to your educator and Mm -hmm. show your educator what is out there. And what is going on in the hair industry today and tell them why they need to change their language and their teachings around haircuts in schools. Mm-hmm. Because it, it's great that we're able to take salons and say to them, Hey, this is how you should be functioning now. You know, we all, we, we know that this world is all constantly about change. Everything mm-hmm. is constantly changing. And in the queer community, it changes even faster Absolutely. language, terminology. Yeah. All of it. You always have to be on top of it. And so we're doing catch up by going to these salons and saying, hey, you should make a gender affirming salon. Wouldn't it be amazing if we were actually able to reach the students when they were in school and learning and we had a curriculum in those schools that was maybe a week long on gender affirming services. Mm -hmm. And then they'd be already coming out these little like armed hairstylists going into mm-hmm. the salons as well. And then saying to the salons, like we learned this in school. Why aren't you doing it this way? What's so funny is, you know, Annie and I, that's hundred percent. The reason we built a social curriculum for yeah. students to, to learn how to do social properly while you're in school, but also to learn like the branding and the marketing and all of those like things that matter when, when building your personal brand. And this is such a huge thing. Um, but I think that schools just having been in the school's system, your educators are open to bringing in new things. They are looking for things. Um, I mean, that was part of my job in a couple of places was bringing in guest speakers. And I think, you know, with DCP, it's such a great resource because as a student, why can't you reach out to a salon who is on the directory and ask them to come in and speak during your homeroom or your powwow or whatever your school calls it, um, because they'll have the information they're, they're putting, they're already putting into practice, you know, um, what dress code is about. And, and it's, it's a great place to maybe extern or assist at, you know, if you are looking for a space mm-hmm. that is going to fit your needs, you know, being a safer space. Something that was really kind of um, like, obviously hindsight is twenty twenty, and I went to school quite a few years ago, but something that I always found. So before I entered the beauty industry, um, I, I was on my own journey of self-identification and understanding who I was. And, and it's a journey that I think never ends. 
honestly. And in the beginning of that, I always looked at the beauty industry as such a safer space for queer people, because from the outside looking in, you're like, okay, this is full of artists. This is full Mm -hmm. of people who have the ability to like, they truly get to be themselves. You get to find, um, the, the people that are, are like-minded and and you get to build your own community within professional beauty. And then when I started school, realizing how incredibly gendered things are, and that doesn't always necessarily start at the school level, but that starts at the educational level that the schools bring into their schools. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like there, there really is such this like bigger picture that you don't even realize. Um, and and then realizing, okay, I'm learning women's cuts. I'm learning men's cuts. Like instead of learning long haircuts and short haircuts, like they're, they're very intensely gendered. Um, there you're also, you also see things a lot differently because there's typically people that identify as female are the majority of your classmates. And then typically you have people that identify as male as a very small portion of your classmates. Mm-hmm. But then on top of that, I, I went to school with someone who was transgendered. They were, uh, born a male, transitioned to female, and we became very, very close and very good friends. And it always broke my heart so badly whenever they would call for them over the intercom mm-hmm. because they would dead, th- dead name them every time. Um, yeah. It was always so embarrassing, especially if they were with a client at the time, because they would have to acknowledge that that is me that, and I have to leave you right now to go do whatever it is that they need me to do. And it's such a larger, larger picture that I think people don't always realize when they're in school, how even, even going and making one small change, going to your people in the office and saying, Hey, change mm-hmm. these things that you're doing. Don't dead name someone over the intercom or, you know, understand what their name that they go by and and call them that. Because I, I am someone, I was born female. I identify as female. I am a part of the queer community, but I was given a different name at birth and I ch- changed my name. And even though I don't consider it a dead name or anything like that, when people refer to me by that name, it is incredibly irritating and so many other emotions that come along with it. I could never, I cannot imagine the struggle and the pain and the embarrassment of someone being dead named in a position like that when I was in school. And I think people don't realize that they have more power, you know, they have more power than they, than they realize going and making these small changes in a beauty school environment, Mm -hmm. or even just looking at things differently, Mm -hmm. um, to set yourself up to be different to be a better ally, even within the professional beauty industry, when you do graduate and go on to a salon or whatever it is. Yeah. I think that's like a really powerful statement, impactful statement in itself. Like just that you have more power than you think you do, you know? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, And also just because you're challenging something that is considered to be the norm, it doesn't mean that you're being like, you know, um, necessarily like trying to create conflict or anything like that. It just means that you're, questioning and disrupting. And I think that's a really healthy way to think. And I think that anybody who dissuades from that line of thinking, it's because they are afraid of change and they Mm -hmm. are afraid of what can happen because Mm -hmm. they're comfortable. And it's so much easier to remain comfortable than it is to challenge yourself and to try something that is maybe going to make you uncomfortable for a minute, Mm -hmm. but is also just going to help, help you become better, you know, and just more enlightened. Definitely. Um, 
have more more things in your toolkit, you know. Um, so I think like students challenging things and are respectful. I always try to to encourage respect because I think as you know anybody in this world, I think we all want to be respected. So I think that more success can come from respect than like you know an argument or something. So I'll always try to like place things in a respectful mm-hmm. way when I am challenging someone. But um, I think like it's just an important way to uh, you know, function on a daily basis is just questioning things. And, and hopefully with any luck, if you have a educator that is like aware and respectful of that and can also like think inwardly, then you could see a change happen. And like, that is incredibly powerful tool to have, you know, because mm-hmm. I started this as one person, I didn't have, you know, anyone famous behind me, backing me up. I didn't mm-hmm. have like, any kind of money, you know, that I had a savings of, of anywhere that was just waiting to be spent on something, you know, I was just kind of like, I just need to see this happen because it's just not okay. And it's also to what you were saying, any, like, it's incredibly frustrating as someone who was born, you know, a certain way, like, you know, with either female, male, or both anatomies and you identify differently. It's incredibly f- frustrating to constantly be misgendered to constantly be, you know, like you said, possibly dead named. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't speak to the dead naming at all, but I do identify as a non-binary person. I use they, them pronouns. I still, you know, have female anatomy and I am fine with that right now, but I don't like being called ma'am. I don't like being called she, I don't, mm-hmm. you know, I don't like it when I'm out with a group of friends and then someone says, Oh, Hey ladies, how can I, you know, like it just Mm -hmm. drives me crazy, drives me bonkers. And sometimes I'll say something and sometimes I won't. Um, it just depends on, you know, where I am, what, how I'm thinking, but it's a frustrating thing, you know, and it really is because we have been, um, programmed to think a certain way about a lot of different things in society. Mm -hmm. How do you, cause I, I feel the same way as you, when someone calls me ma'am, I literally pause for a second and have to like take a breath and like, they don't know, you know, they, I, I can't get mad at this is cause I hate yeah. being called ma'am. I hate it so much. I hate being called miss or ma'am. Um, I use she, they pronouns, but there are a lot of times that very incredibly female driven terminology. I do not like being mm-hmm. talked to that way or identified that way. Um, and those are my personal feelings about it. How do you, or, or like, what advice would you give to people? Cause I know that I, I feel that when sometimes the, these types of things are brought up, people are like, well, you can't make everybody happy or you don't know how, like, you know, one person would take it how the, the wrong way. Some person mm-hmm. doesn't, they don't mm-hmm. care. Like, so there it's, I think that people get frustrated who are on the outside of the queer community because they're like, oh, well, you know, you just, you never know or whatever. What advice would you give to maybe those people who are part of the professional beauty industry that maybe don't understand that? Like, what advice would you give them to help better understand that? Like, yes, you cannot make everybody happy all the time, but. Yeah. I mean, I think, especially if you're going back to the, like, um, you know, beauty schools and cosmetology schools and stuff like that, you know, um, I think it starts in, in the chair, you know, so 
it can be something that is um, repetitive and practiced so that people get used to it. It's like habit forming. And um, so always introducing yourself with your pronouns in certain situations, you know, not like walking up to a restaurant and saying, Hey, I'm Kristen. My name, my pronouns are they, them. And I have a reservation, you know, (laughs) not necessarily like that, but like, you know, maybe if you're in school and you are um, in the portion of your schooling where you're doing practical work, introducing your pronouns to your client and then being like, Hey, can I ask you what yours are? You know, if you're working in, in the classroom with other people, helping them understand it, you know, being a queer person that is open to helping allies be allies and be better authentic allies. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people will say it's not my job. Straight people need to learn themselves. Go Google it. That just drives me bonkers. The whole like, go Google it. I get it. Some people are tired. Some people don't want to always have to explain themselves, but this is how I look at it. If you want to make progress and if you want to help be a person who creates change, then you have to participate as well. And yes, mm-hmm. it sucks. It may be difficult and maybe you're tired of it, but if you stop, then maybe everybody's going to stop. And then where are we, you know? Mm-hmm. So whenever I do classes, for example, like one of the first things I say is, by the way, there are no stupid questions here, you know, especially if I know there are allies or people that want to be allies in the room that are learning from me, I want to make sure they feel safe because it has also been my experience as a queer person that sometimes, and I know that this is from past trauma and triggers and whatnot, queer people are not the most open to helping that way. You know, they're not the most open to saying like, yeah, sure. I can help you understand that a little bit better. And so it's, I just feel like it is important to say, Hey, like, listen, we're all learning here. You're here to Mm -hmm. learn. I'm here to help educate and train and answer any questions to the best of my ability and to my knowledge. Mm -hmm. There are no stupid questions. Please feel free to ask them here, especially because I am teaching you, you know, so this Mm -hmm. is the place to learn, but then also maybe like moving forward in that, you know, so for allies, for them to, say, listen, like, I really want to learn better. And I know that I am not a queer person, but I want to know how I can be better serving to your community. What would you suggest if you don't mind me asking? Like, I know a lot of people don't like that, but it really like the only alternative to that is allies feeling ostracized Mm -hmm. and allies feeling, well, the the community is, you know, they're not helpful or they get mad or because I've heard that everything I say is wrong. Mm -hmm. Everything Mm -hmm. I say is wrong. You know, Mm -hmm. I've I've heard that as well. So there's Mm -hmm. like two sides to every story, you know? Mm -hmm. So even if you're a queer person that doesn't want to maybe answer questions for somebody, you could direct them, you know, send them in the direction where they might be able to find information. And like in our situation, any allies, any queer people that are in the hair industry in any capacity that want to learn more, go to our website, go to our Instagram account, like read all about Mm -hmm. it. You know, it's all there for you to learn. It's just about how much you want to absorb. I think that that really kind of complements this, this idea that we all share of anti-cancel culture that rather Mm -hmm. than canceling people, um, we could educate, we could allow growth, we could help them understand, or they could take those steps um, to go through the process of becoming better mm-hmm. rather than the moment someone says something wrong um, that we're just like, well, you're done, you're done. Mm-hmm. Totally. We've canceled you. Like the, there's no coming back. 
you know, because it, it really doesn't, it doesn't allow for growth. And I think when we give people the opportunity to be better, that is how we create a safer community for everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like cancel culture is just, I think it's just so dangerous. Mm-hmm. I think it, it's got such a negative connotation, you know, I mean, we are human beings, like, mm-hmm. We're not perfect. We're going right. to make mistakes, all of us. You know, I always tell the story about how one of my closest friends that I've been friends with 20 years, both of us out at a young age, identifying, going to queer bars together and stuff like that. The first year in the pandemic called myself and the rest of our friends and said, Hey, I just want to let you all know I'm transitioning. I'm going to be going from this name to this name. And, um, you know, we were like, that's amazing. Thanks for sharing it. And they came back to Toronto for, uh, the, the next year for an event. And we all spent some time together and they were just getting used to, he was just getting used to me using they, them pronouns. And I was just getting used to calling him, him and using his chosen name. And all we did all night long was totally fucking just misgender each other all night long. (laughs) And then we both went outside for a minute and we, we just laughed. We were like, Oh my God, look at us. Like we're both queer people. We're both super aware of this. They actually, their wife is like heavily into the queer community and educating Mm -hmm. and all that. I educate and all we did all night long was misgender each other. And all we could do was laugh about it because we understand that we're going to make mistakes. Even two people that are in this community, not only in this community, but also identifying differently are sitting here using the wrong pronouns, misgendering each other all night long. Like, absolutely. you know, like we just need to understand that, that we are not perfect. We're going to make mistakes. But what is so great about that is that I always find that you best learn from the mistakes that you make. Definitely. You know, and taking that lesson and really being able to apply it. Now, sure. If somebody makes a mistake and, you know, the community at large wants to jump on them, give them a minute and let them have a a say about it, rectify Mm -hmm. it. And then if they don't, if they continue to double down, you know, Mm -hmm. and just go along with that narrative, then you can say, listen, I've done all I can do here. It's clear to me that you're not here for all the right reasons. So I'm done with this conversation, Mm -hmm. but outwardly canceling someone in that cancel culture way in my terms is just a form of incredible, like bullying. And I, Mm -hmm. I'm not down Mm -hmm. with it at all. I'm not down with bullying. I'm not like, I'm just not down with not being able to like accept people, you know, and, and help them understand. And I think cancel culture has really not served us well at all. Absolutely. I I think that we have to allow people to make mistakes, who, who make mistakes to learn from those mistakes. Just like you said, I actually have a story about me and you, Kristen, because we do know each other outside of this podcast. Like we know each other in real life and like our friends in real life and IRL. Yeah. And like something I know for me, something that is, I have been working on it for a very long time and it is really tough for some reason, but I have been working on getting rid of the terminology guys from my language. And years ago, Kristen and I were on a phone call and I said, Kristen, I need you to be my accountability buddy. If I say the term guys, I need you to immediately jump in and stop me and say something else to make my, to like get it into my brain, say folks, or just, and and I gave you the permission to do that, to cut me off, say a different word. So I could correct it myself and start learning a different way of doing that. And I think that that's something more people need to do is that if you are in a position where you are actively wanting to learn and change and be more inclusive is get 
an accountability buddy, you know, get someone that has the permission to cut you off immediately and change what you just did. Or, and in a way that, because for me, why it was so helpful was that it, it gave me the opportunity just to quickly fix it without having to apologize or anything like that, because it's not about me. I don't need to make it about me in that moment of, Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Cause that's about me. That's not about the people that I'm either talking to or about or anything else. For me, at least it's helpful, you know, but other people might also find something like that helpful where it just quickly changes your thought process and you can get into the habit of getting rid of those terminology or whatever it is that you're trying to do and just correct that behavior in the moment. Yeah, exactly. You know, Um, before we go though, I do want to give you an opportunity to talk about, because I know you've got some events coming up and we have, we have pride coming up. Um, and I know that DCP is heavily involved in, um, you know, some different activities. And so I wanted people to have a chance to find out where they could do more with you. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. So yeah, every pride we do try to do, uh, something, um, we last year, so we have also had uh, as part of like the dress code project side hustle. We've always had this little thing we call the gender free haircut club where we get hairstylists and salons to donate their time and their, and their skills to give free haircuts to, uh, marginalized queer folks so they can get haircuts that make them look the way they feel as well. And Mm -hmm. last year, since it was the first pride after the pandemic and people were in most places were able to gather again, um, which meant that people, uh, people could come into salons and get haircuts. We thought, let's try to make a gender free haircut club day. So we did that last year on June 12th and we had 50 salons um, in North America participate in the gender free haircut club day. And at the very same time in respective time zones, we did a four hour uh, gender free haircut club day where we gave free haircuts and it was really awesome. Um, this year we're doing that again, but we're leveling it up a little bit. Um, as you both know, I also work with the left brain group, which is an agency within our uh, pro beauty hair, hair industry. Mm-hmm. That is kind of like representing folks that are doing things differently in, in the hair industry. Mm-hmm. And we are doing this event that I'm very excited for. I know you two have also been involved in helping us get the word out there, but, um, it is for anyone in the hair industry and anybody not in the hair industry, to be honest with you, but there's going to be a lot of like education, a lot of fun. And then the gender free haircut club day, we're doing it the last weekend of June this year. And we're actually doing it live in New Orleans. It's called, yeah, it's called queers for the crown. And, um, you know, as we all know that sometimes people refer to your hair as your crown and, um, we are a bunch of queers that are going to be, um, (laughs) putting this on. So, um, um, so we thought that was an appropriate name, but the other reason that we called it that is because, um, along with doing, um, creating safer spaces as a learning day and a day where we're bringing in speakers and stuff like that, we are also doing an event that night, um, that is based on the, um, balls of the early eighties and nineties in New York city, where a lot of yes. POC transgender people would get together and underground celebrate dance, celebrate, mm-hmm. um, houses and compete really just for their own culture and community. Mm-hmm. And yes. so we're taking that beautiful, beautiful idea. Anybody that doesn't know what I'm talking about, Madonna based, uh, Vogue 
off of Mm -hmm. that concept because she spent time in these spaces with queer folks. And also, uh, just a few years ago, um, there was an incredible show on FX called Pose that has Mm -hmm. everything to do with the ball culture and community. And it's amazing. So we wanted to turn that into a hair event. So the first night we'll be doing a ball and the ball is going to be different houses competing. But instead of it being dancing and strutting your stuff, it's going to be different categories of hair. Amazing. Um, so, you know, um, best vivid color, um, mm-hmm. you know, just things like that. Obviously the best gender affirming hair, you know, um, <laughs> those kinds of categories. And we are going to have a panel of judges and we are going to have an MC for the night and we're going to have, um, different houses, which are essentially going to be different salon teams. They don't even have to be in one salon. If you're, you know, four or five hairstylists that want to come together as a house, you can name your house. Uh, so you'd be the house of whatever, you know, and they all compete. And then the next day we're doing the gender free haircut club day. Perfect. So that is our big pride event. And we're very, very excited about it. And people can find out about that on your Instagram or is that yeah. your best place to go? Our Instagram. Um, so at the dress code project, uh, the left brain group at the left brain group, Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have it. The left brain group also has more information on their website. If you're interested in finding out more and also interested in purchasing tickets, you can purchase them there. Um, there are some early bird specials and things like that too, for people to look at. And this is for anyone. Again, it doesn't have, you do not have to be a licensed hairstylist. So if you're someone who is in cosmetology school and you are interested in this and you want to come, see the hair industry celebrate the queer community this is what you want to come to you don't want to miss it and nothing has been done like this in person in our industry before i love this yeah i I feel like during pride month specifically and in the north america we celebrate pride month typically in the month of june and something that dress code project has actually talked quite a bit about before in the past is rainbow washing you see that happen quite Mm -hmm. a bit in professional beauty where rainbow washing is you know companies come out they changed everything to rainbows they celebrate for the month, we give them a ton of money typically, you know, cause they put yeah. rainbows on everything. So we buy it. Um, and then after the month of June is over, everything goes back to normal and our community is no longer another year. It doesn't matter. Like we are pushed back to the side again. So it's, it's a reason that I love DCP so much and the events and the things that happen because it is truly representative all year round of our community and just trying Mm -hmm. to make professional beauty, which is considered typically a safe space for queer people, truly a safer space for queer yeah, people I, within and out of professional beauty. Yeah, it's super important. And I, to your point of rainbow washing, like it's super important to be an ally all year long, like mm-hmm. not just in June or not just because you're going to a queer event or you have a queer friend or mm-hmm. anything like that, you know, like it's just incredibly important to always be an ally to that. And of course I speak of this topic because it's what I'm involved in, I have knowledge on, I educate myself regularly in, but we can say that mm-hmm. about so many different things, right? Mm-hmm. You know, outside of this, but we're talking about queer community and and this is where we look at it. You know, the, it's a very funny, we, I, as you both know, we are, are sponsored by Pantene, have been sponsored by Pantene in the past. And Pantene is not a professional beauty company. They're more of a commercial beauty company, but they are the only beauty company that has fully stepped up to the plate and become an authentic ally 
that seriously does want to change the way the message they have put out in the 80 some odd years that they've been in business to make it more inclusive for all folks. And, you know, we have had a ton of contact with different beauty schools, cosmetology schools, with different professional beauty brands. And, you know, they want to talk, but they don't want to walk it, you know, like Mm -hmm. there's still a lot of hesitation there, you know? So I always say to people, you can say what you want about Pantene, but they have been there and they've put the money and the work in. And if you Mm -hmm. think that somebody else can do better and you are in a salon that utilizes that brand or you're in a school, go talk to the head of the school, the manager, whomever it is, go talk to that brand. If you use them in your salon and ask them why they're not a part of the dress code project. And and dress code project, just as a, as a, Side note as well, it is a global community. This is not, we're not just talking about North America. Like this is, there are salons all around the world that are a part of the alliance, the salon alliance. And it is people all over the globe that can become part of, of Dress Code Project, can learn from Dress Code Project and can bring you out for classes as well. Oh yeah. We, um, uh, we have salons all over North America. I think the majority of them are in the U S we have a bunch in Canada. We have a lot in, um, uh, Australia because Kevin Murphy is a huge friend of the Dress Code Project. He really believes in what we're doing. And so he was super generous with um, the salons that are Kevin Murphy salons. And he brought me out to Vegas to speak. And, you know, he was just really wonderful with that. So we have this like very strange, big group of salons in (laughs) Australia that are DCP members. And um, we were just doing a training with a salon coming up in a couple of weeks in Britain, in the UK, uh, Trevor Sorby salons that are actually launching a menu change that's going to be gender affirming and um, they're getting training from us and in, in figuring out how to do it the right way. We are slowly making the steps. And I think low and slow is kind of our motto because it does take a lot, as you both know, to not just like say, Hey, I want to be part of our club and not do anything about it, but to mm-hmm. say, Hey, do you want to be part of change? And then make sure they understand what that means. All right. Well, I just want to say a huge thank you to Kristen coming on today. And if anyone is looking for more information, please find uh, Dress Code Project on Instagram at the Dress Code Project, or you can go to their website at dresscodeproject.com. Um, those two places are going to be incredible to start. And if you are looking for events or you want to reach out about education with Kristen, particularly go to the left brain group and you can find more information about upcoming events and how to have, uh, some education and training with Kristen there, uh, for anyone who is interested in more information about rainbow washing or anything like that. We are actually going to have another episode coming up in a couple months with Kristen, where we are going to actually dive much deeper into that because it is really a huge topic and how to spend your queer dollars wisely. So make sure that you keep an eye out on the podcast for future episodes. And thank you to everyone listening. And thank you again to Kristen and my co-host, Erin. And we'll see everybody next time. Thanks so much for having me. Bye. Bye. Bye.